Good morning. Good to see you this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Uh, We've been looking at James for about a year now and working our way through this great book. I don't know how many of you have been here for all of it, but uh, it's certainly been a good study for us as we've been spending time in James trying to understand what it is that James wants us to really get out of this letter. A lot of times people look at James and they're struggling to figure out what it's about because it seems as though he jumps from topic to topic. He starts out the book uh, saying, Count it all joys, brothers, when you meet various uh, trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then after that, it seems as though he gives this huge list of commands that begins in verse 22 of chapter 1 with, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. James wants us to do the things that he is about to command us to do in his letter. And as we work our way through the letter, we see James commanding us to not be angry. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We see James telling us to show love to those who are in need by actually giving to those who are in need instead of just saying we want the good to happen to them. He wants us to actually show that love for them. And then as we keep going, we see James wants us to control our tongues. And and we're reading that and studying that like, huh, well, that, that sounds like a great idea, James, in chapter 3. I think I'll, I'll work on that, but that's a hard one. Uh, we keep going. We see James doesn't want us to be arrogant or to think that you know we're wise in our own eyes. He doesn't want us to think much of our money. Uh, in fact, he gives us a different perspective on money that we need to weep and howl over the miseries that our money gives us. So all of these commands from James and all of these instructions that he gives us, which are uh, things that we never think about. We may think that we have a faith that is a real faith and and that's genuine, but he gives us a way to think about them a little bit deeper and see where it is that we're messing up. He helps us to understand that, that our faith needs work uh, and, and that those... There are many who profess to have faith, but it seems as though their faith is counterfeit. Like they don't have a real faith that's that's actually doing the things that James is commanding to do, that, that God expects of them to do. And it makes sense. How easy is it for us to say... I have great faith in God. I trust God. I believe in God. And I want all the benefits that that belief is going to get me. But how difficult is it for us to overcome our sins and to show a genuine faith that is really showing a love for God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. That really shows a love for our neighbor as ourselves. James encourages us in this book to be a true believer, to be one who really has a great faith in God. But all of these commandments, and as we're reading through this, we see that we're messing up. We see that there's problems with our our own faith in our own lives, that that we're we're failing to be the, the faithful servant of God as that we ought to be. 
the tongue is this easy example for us. I mean, how many of us since that sermon was preached have never had an issue with our tongue again? You know, uh, it's it's funny how we think that uh, that by hearing a sermon or by hearing a study that all of a sudden all of my problems will go away. <laughs> I will miraculously be cured of my sin as I leave the doors uh, of this building. Uh, this is an easy thing to think. But as we look at the book of James, we're reminded of things that we were told maybe before that we need to fix in our lives that we have not fully fixed. And that now James commands us to fix these things. He commands us to do these things to show that we have a real faith in God in order for us to produce fruit for God. We need to be following these commandments. The pursuit of fulfilling these commandments is a pursuit of glorifying God and producing fruit for Him. But all the difficulties that we find in this this book of James, in the first four chapters and all the way to chapter 5, verse 6, He now helps us with these things. In James chapter 5 verse 7, that therefore transitions us from all these commandments that show a real faith in God. Because this is what we must do to show a real faith in God. Now he says, here's what you need to focus on. Here are four exhortations that I'm going to give you that will help you with the rest. In fact, there's five and we'll look at the last one later on. But... There are four things in this text that we're going to see in chapter 5, verse 7 through 11 that are encouragements of James that help us to do the commands to have a true faith, a real faith that honors and glorifies God. The truth is that we just we can't just flip a switch and, and be righteous and be good. The truth is that instead of that, what he says in verse 7 is we need Patience. We need patience like a farmer to overcome the sins that are invading our lives. This is not patience in the sense of driving on the road, I need a lot of patience. This is not patience in the sense of I need patience with my wife or I need patience with my kids or I need patience with the brethren. But this is about patience as you're trying to live a faithful life in service to God. There's no giving up. It's it's not, I failed, I've sinned, and now I, I give up, and there's no chance of me ever coming back to God. That's not the way that we're to view all that God has revealed in, from James earlier in this book. All of these commands are, are things we're supposed to take into us and then work on and patiently get to the point where we're being perfected, where we're glorifying God with our lives. And notice that he says we need the patience like a farmer in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. 
Let's think for just a minute about a farmer. This is a very interesting image for us. A farmer is one who is digging up the earth and then he's planting a seed and then he covers it up. And then, and then he waits. <laughs> That's all that he does. He, he's, the seed's in there, he covers it up, he waits, he knows the seed's there. He goes and he tends to the weeds and he tends to the insects and he makes sure that that, that seed is going to grow. And this image is given to us of a farmer to help us understand that we need to be patient as we are changing, as we are repenting of our sins, as He has commanded us all throughout this letter to change in all of these ways. We need to be patient like a farmer until that change starts to be seen in our lives. We need to be working on it. We're waiting. We're weeding. We're, we're providing the insecticide. We're doing everything we can to try to help the seed to grow into what it's supposed to be. One thing that I think about as I'm studying through this section of James is, is the fact that I've, I've entered into a training program. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm here supposed, supposed to be here for two years to train under Brent. And basically, I asked Brent... Tell me everything that I'm doing wrong. And after I preach a sermon on Sunday, on Monday morning, I walk in and go into his office and he tells me what I did wrong. First question is, how do you think it went? So I get to analyze myself and then I get to think about what it is that I've done wrong and what it is that I've done right. And then Brent provides encouragement, you know, I need it. He's, he's gentle, he's not harsh. And he says, here are the things that I see that you did wrong. That hurts. <laughs> that does not feel good to have somebody tell you, you got up in front of everybody and you said this. Did you really know that you said this? This is ridiculous. You know, he, he hasn't really said that very much, but, uh, you know. He, 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 he even tells me, this could have been so much better if you would have just said this. And it's, that's more heartbreaking than anything. I put all this time and effort into preparing a sermon and it could have been something better. It, and I want to do the text justice and I want everyone to see what it is that I'm seeing in the text and I want you to, to grow from it like I'm growing from it. This is how we take in the Word. Each and every one of us are in a training program, aren't we? When we open our Bibles, we're in a training program. We're letting someone else tell us what we're doing wrong. And we have to work on ourselves to change, to be like we ought to be. Or we're letting someone else tell us how we could do something a lot better if we would just change this or that. So this, this requires patience in us as we're trying to please God. We know what God has done for us and we now want to serve Him. We now want to please Him, but we're going to see ourselves falling short and we need patience. But notice also that in the midst of this section about patience, he tells us in, in James 5 verse 7, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. 
Who provides the rains? God does. Think for a second about the seed. Jenna had this really neat experiment that she did with the kids. She, the pumpkin seeds. We had a pumpkin cart. We had a ton of seeds. Brought a pumpkin seed. You put it in a Ziploc bag with soil, with a little water, and, and you set it by the window. And because it's this clear Ziploc bag, you get to watch it grow. And the seed, you just put it in there, and you see the roots start to spread. And then you slowly see the stem coming up. There's all this that's going on that's... I didn't do that, you know. There's all this work that's being done in the growth of the seed into something that's beautiful. And I didn't do anything to create that. The growth of the seed happens because God provides the growth. God tells the seed, it's time to grow. And He makes the seed to grow in a way that we don't really have control for. Sure, we can do all this work to provide for the seed a good environment to grow, but God provides this growth. And here James is telling us, we must be patient and wait for the early and the late rains. Well, let's think about that with our trials as, as we're trying to become better people for God. The idea that God provides early and late rains for us. When we leave this place and, and we've heard the Word preached to us, a seed has been planted into our hearts or we've already gotten that seed in us and we're reminded, oh yeah, I need to tend to that seed a little bit. I've got some weeding to do. I've got some insecticide to spread. I, got, I need to do something to help myself to grow more. And we start to see God provide rain as, as things happen in our lives. There's a growth that's taking place inside of us as we're enduring the trial of, of change and repentance in our own lives. We see that fruit is actually being created in us. That we are actually changing who we are. That God is changing who we are. So many people in the world today say, you can't change. You can't change your husband. You can't change your, your wife. You can't change the will of anyone else. And, and in fact, the idea is you can't even change yourself. You are who you are and you will always be that way. But God tells us and shows us that that's not true. He can change. He can help us grow. He can help us become a new person, a new creation that glorifies His name by producing fruit in our lives. Think about it like this. Inside each and every one of us, God is creating a harvest of righteousness for Him. Every seed that we plant, that we tend to on a daily basis, all of these sins that we're committing, all of these works that we, we need to be doing, that we learn about as we study, as we, we understand more about God and what He wants from us, all of these things are growing. And we don't really see the growth for a period of time, and it's a struggle to, to keep pushing on. But we have here the reassurance that if we're patient we will see the fruit start to grow in our lives. It's interesting that we've been studying through Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37 
is, is difficult because it goes back and forth between the idea of God taking the land that's desolate and making it into this fruitful and beautiful field and land and fruit growing everywhere, like a Garden of Eden. And intermixed in that is God saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you and give you a new heart. And you will be my people and I will be your God. Isn't that neat how those images are meshed together here in James? God is making us into a fruitful field that there might be a bountiful harvest of good works, of of glorifying Him when this life is over. The work that we're doing, if we will be patient and continue to endure the trials of this life, if instead of leaving here and saying, I'll never stop being angry, I'll never stop sinning, I'll never control my tongue, I'll never do any of these things, instead of leaving here saying, I need to tend to that. Instead of saying that, we need to say, I need to tend to that plant. I need to keep working on that. And we wake up the next day and we keep working on that. And we keep working on that. And we fall. And we mess up. And we don't say, I give up. We say, I I need to keep working on that. We're patiently enduring until we see the fruit grow in our own lives. That's the first Admonition of James, the first encouragement that he gives us. And like I said, it's a big one. That's a big encouragement. He's given us all these commandments in James. And now we see, he tells us, be patient in your working. The growth will come. But the second commandment he gives us, in my mind, is is one of the biggest commands in all of Scripture. It's the biggest idea that we really need to make sure we understand about anything else James has commanded us. We have fallen in all these other ways. Do not fall in this. Verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does it mean to establish your hearts. When we think about that, we start to think about the idea of being established as being something that's unwavering, unmovable, something that's firmly rooted and fully devoted to something. Someone who is established is has decided that they are going to do something, that this is going to, to be the way things are, and it's not going to change. Their hearts are set on this idea. Well, what about us? Are our hearts established to work for the Lord? To overcome the trials that that we're enduring in this life. The trials of transformation into a new creature. The trials of suffering, whatever they are. Are we established that we will love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength, and love our neighbors ourselves, and that is the basis of life. That's what I'm here for, and that's that's all I care about. How many Christians do we see teetering between God and the love of this world and the comfort in this life? How many Christians do we, do we see feeling as though their faith is shaky? How, how do we get that way? We're not established. James tells us, establish your hearts. 
There is nothing more important than this in your life. And if you don't believe that, then you're going to keep teetering between the two. How, how often do the comforts of this world entice us to the point where we say, I can ignore God for a little while and pay more attention to this. I mean, it just it happens over and over and over again in our lives that we start to focus on these things. Do we ever completely give in to them? Or do we remember that we're established in God, that, that loving Him more than anything or anyone else is more important than that stuff? And do we stay focused on that truth? The truth is, giving up is not an option in this cause. In what we're here to do, as, as we become Christians and as we pursue glorifying God and working for Him, giving up is not an option. When this life is over, all of us will have to determine, be determined whether or not we're faithful. Notice his, his, his motivation in all of this. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is all that matters. Are we established to love the Lord our God forever? For all of our lives. We think about a marriage relationship. Imagine me getting up with Jenna and we're going to say our wedding vows. And I say, I vow to love, honor, and cherish you as long as I get to do what I really want to do. But the second you go against me, or the second you say something I don't really like and I refuse to do... I'm done with this marriage. It's over. That is not established. Establishing your hearts in the love of your spouse. That's that's ridiculous. Jenna and I, whenever we before we were getting married, the, the idea that was in our head is we're gonna love God first. I love God more than I love Jenna. And then we're gonna love each other. And we're going to try to love ourselves last. We'll love the church, we'll love other people, we'll love our neighbor, we'll love ourselves last. That's the basis of, of our life. That's what we're trying to do. Now, I'm not going to stand before you and say we're doing a, the best job ever with that. There's been plenty of momentary lapses of sanity. That's what I like to call them. It's a momentary lapse of sanity. Okay, that was completely self-centered and selfish. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry, let's get back on track because my heart is established that I want to be in love with my wife and I want her to be in love with me. And it feels like we're dating. It feels great. And I hope that 30 years from now, it still feels like we're dating because we're established. Divorce is not an option for us. And, and God gives the exception of divorce if, if there is sexual immorality, there is cause for divorce. But in our minds, we're going to do everything we can to avoid that. Because I'm here to serve God. And I made a vow to serve her. And I'm going to, I'm going to put that first in my life. This is what God wants us to do for Him. 
the, the commitment that we're willing to make with our spouse, He wants us to make that kind of commitment for Him. When things get hard, when trials come in our lives, there is no wavering in my love for God. I see that I'm falling to sin. Well, I'm not going to give up on trying to overcome that sin. I'm not going to just say, well, it's too hard. And I like doing this too much, so forget about God with this one. I'm not listening to this command. We need establishment in our love for God and our love for each other above everything else. And this is what James encourages us, admonishes us to do in this part of the letter. And then in verse 9, he tells us, Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, he refers to the fact that the Lord is coming. In this case, he says, He's right here. (laughs) You know, it's funny how kids are. Whenever our kids are in another room and they don't think that we're there, we hear them fussing and fighting with each other. And I'm, I'm hearing all of this. But I'm not in the room, so obviously I don't know what's going on, right? Well, God hears and knows every single thing that we're saying against one another. And He says, do not grumble. And we might be tempted to think, I don't do that. <laughs> and, and God doesn't know about any of that that I'm doing. But the truth is, this is my go-to for avoiding consequences. Well, I'm sinning and I'm doing all these things wrong. It's not really my fault. <laughs> They pushed me over the edge. They made me do that or this. And so I can't be held accountable for this. You remember what Adam said? The woman you gave me (laughs) gave it to me. And I remember what Eve said. The serpent deceived me. You remember Israel in the wilderness? Grumbling, grumbling. It can't be my fault that I'm in this situation. And this is what we do. And and notice how this never fixes any of our problems. As much as I like to point the finger at somebody else, it doesn't help me to become a better person or help me to change. In fact, it hinders me. It makes me have excuses so I can just stop trying so hard on myself. Stop beating myself up so much. But the judge is standing at the door. He knows what we're doing. And he doesn't like it. We've got a plank in our eye. (laughs) And we're trying to point our finger at somebody with a splinter in their eye. And he knows all about it. So, with all this struggle, with all these trials that we're going through, we need patience... We need to be established that we're going to worship and serve God no matter what happens in our lives. And we need to watch out for our tendencies to grumble against other people. But the fourth admonition is very interesting. Read with me verses 10 and 11. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Notice, he tells us to take the prophets. 
He tells us, you heard of the steadfastness of Job. And then He tells us, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How have we heard these things? How have we seen these things? We open our Bibles to see these things. When we open our Bibles, we see men and women, the prophets, do some amazing things in their service to God. And go through some amazing trials. And a lot of those trials seem self-inflicted. God commands them to do it, and they submit, and they do what God commands them to do. Think of Ezekiel. God commands you, you're going to lay on this side, and then you're going to lay on this side. And total days is going to be 430 days. And while you're laying on your side in front of your little model of Jerusalem that you created, you're going to be cooking your food on cow manure. And you only get like this much bread. And that's all that you get, like a little bitty bit of bread. That's it for 430 days. He submits to it. He does that. (laughs) And then his wife dies later and he's commanded, don't mourn for your wife. And he doesn't mourn for his wife. What an example of patience and suffering. What an example of someone who has established their heart to do whatever it is God has commanded them to do, no matter how difficult. Jeremiah is is repeatedly attempted murder is made against him. Jeremiah is is forced to stay in the city and be besieged. He's thrown into a, a well. He's thrown into a dungeon. He's around the extremely wicked people. And God tells him to stay with them. And to preach to them. Daniel is taken away from his family to Babylon and forced to be surrounded by all kinds of temptations. And they try to tell him to stop serving God. But he remains faithful. Hosea is told to marry a prostitute and then told to take her back after she commits adultery. He remains faithful. When we take the prophets, our trials don't seem that bad. So this is why James tells us, take the prophets, think about them. And then Job, what kind of an example is it in Job that we have? I mean, a man who loses everything, everything. He's told, curse God and die. No. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a heart that's established. To love God more than anything or anyone else. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. In all of these sufferings that we read and that we study about in the Old Testament, as we read about these prophets who endured great trials, as we read about Job going through all of this, we have an example to understand that God wants everyone to see. He is compassionate. He is merciful. The suffering of the prophets, and even the suffering of Job, is there for us to understand how compassionate and merciful God is. He allows those who love Him to suffer, that those who don't love Him can see His love for them as well. He loves those who rebel against them. 
And He wants them to come back. All of the suffering of the prophets was so that God could have mercy and compassion on those who rebel against Him. Same is true for us. In all our trials, and all our struggles to be good, to be perfect, to glorify God, to bear fruit for God, it's all about God wanting to show mercy and compassion through us to those around us. That they might understand who God is, what God has done for them, what God desires for them. And this is how we see the prophets. And this is how we are as well. We're here to suffer. We're here to serve. To bear fruit for God. You go back to James chapter 1. And you remember way back when. I pointed to this and I said this is really a key text of the whole book. Verse 18 he says, Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This is what God wants out of us. The first fruits are the best of the crop. He wants us to become this wonderful crop that, that gives Him glory and that spreads the glory of God throughout all the world. And how do we do that? How do we become fruit bearers? How do we become this harvest of righteousness? Well, James tells us we need to be patient. We need to establish our hearts. We need to be careful not to grumble. And when we're going through trials and we think we've got it so bad, we need to remind ourselves of the prophets of Job and of the purpose of God in all of this to extend mercy and compassion on everyone on the earth who will accept it. The Lord is coming. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. Are we ready to meet Him? You know, maybe we don't think about that as often as we should. But in all our trials, and all our efforts to, to become better, to, to endure whatever suffering that's going on in our lives... There is no greater comfort than knowing that God could be here at any second. And here's James reminding us of this. Think about what the coming of the Lord will bring. Think about what you most look forward to when He returns. And we need to look forward to that day where we'll see who God really is, what God has really done for us. And we'll see how He has worked in us to bear fruit for Him. Because throughout all of our lives, we've had His Word planting a seed in us. We've been tending to that seed. We've been growing to become the kind of people that bring God glory. That's what we're here for. Are you part of God's first fruits? Is that the, the way that you view your life? If not, you're missing a purpose that's greater than any other purpose that we have. We get to shine as lights. We get to be the salt of the earth. We get to show everyone the compassion and the mercy and the love of God. So we need patience. Anybody here has not put on Christ, has not 
submitted to His will and His reign. You've not began your journey to glorifying Him, to being obedient. And if if you've got sins in your life that, that you think you have to overcome before you come into Christ, what we see in this text is that's not the way it really is. We come to God with submission and with love, and He makes us into the people that we ought to be. Have you began that walk? If you haven't, please make the change. Please come forward as we stand.